Everything Fast Pitch, presented by Fast Pitch Prep. Here with Coach Don McKinley, I'm Coach Tori Atchison. Uh, Don, seems like we spent a lot of time recently talking about recruiting, and uh, because of the new rules and everything that's happened, I think it's going to continue to be a hot topic and something that we're going to talk about pretty regularly. Uh, the question that was posed to me, which I wrote a blog about a little bit ago that I think um, is one that's really worth discussing, is um, basically from a player or their parent's perspective is, are they really interested? So um, let's go through and talk about some things um, that uh, um, I think players and the parents uh, are curious to know about uh, things that college coaches do, things that happen in the recruiting business that uh, indicate uh, the level of interest that a coach might have and uh, the interest in them as a potential player for their program. Sure. No, I think that's exciting and everybody's... uh you know, very aware of those type of things, whether they're getting visits on their their uh, video site or uh, you know that email that invites them to a camp, um, or is it a, a, a phone call, right? So if they're getting a phone call, and now that won't be until what after the September first of the junior year, right? So, yeah. well, and I think the new rule is going to change the landscape a little bit. Um, one of the things that uh, I think has um, fundamentally changed is the ability of college coaches to communicate with players at younger ages. So I think that uh, there are still going to be things that college coaches will do moving forward that will let players know that they do have some interest in them, even though they can't have the specific recruiting conversation or make an offer. I still think that there's things that will happen. So, uh, But the player that I was talking to the other day kind of had a list of questions. She was basically asked, how do I know if a college coach is interested in me? What does it mean when they send me an email? What does it mean if they come to one of my games? And how about if they call me or ask my travel ball coach to have me call them? So I think those are four pretty good questions. Uh, First thing first, I think um, the rule, the new rule, changes the the ground rules about this discussion quite a bit. From uh, beginning on April 25th, uh, it became a violation of NCAA rules for a college Division One college softball coach to have recruiting contact with any player or her parents before September 1st of her junior year. And so up until just very recently, uh, there was a lot of communication going on between college coaches and very young players. Uh, so now with the new rule, um, college coaches are not allowed to have any specific conversations, specific discussions with a player or her parents. Um, but I do think that there are things that uh, that are going to go on that... Uh, um, are going to show interest. So uh, let's talk with the fir- talk about the first uh, part of that question is, how do I know if a college coach is interested in me? Yeah. So at that point, we're, uh, you know, again, trying to, to wait our time until that date, but uh, looking for any type of contact via email or uh, through my uh, travel ball coach, are those things still going to be Right. Our basic. Well, the way the way I understand the new rule, um, there are some things that college coaches can still communicate to players. Um, They are still allowed to send questionnaires, which is basically a way for a player to fill out their information and send it to that college coach. The code used to be if you got a questionnaire from a coach, that was typically an indication that they had some interest in you. Um, Unfortunately, I think some players and parents too, um, you know, they got that first email asking a, you know a player to fill out a questionnaire and um, send back you know some some generic information about themselves, and people jumped to the conclusion that that somehow meant that they were yeah. being recruited, and the questionnaire is very much the very, very first step in a process where a college coach would be trying to acquire information and honestly let a player know that they do have some interest in them. It's the uh, you know the the very first date in a in a long relationship, uh, but it's still an important one because if a player does not respond, does not fill out that questionnaire, most coaches take that as a sign that that player is not interested in them. And so, so I think the questionnaire is still going to be an important thing. And that needs to be something that as soon as they get, if they do have an interest, they need to uh, reciprocate and you know fill it out, send it back as promptly as you can to make sure that they do 
um, understand that you have some interest in their school. Right. And sometimes, too, I think it's good just because it also allows that college coach to have some more information about you. Um, it might help them um, have a better picture in their minds of what kind of person you are, what kind of student you are, um, some of the things that you're involved in, and that might increase their interest. So um, so if you get an email asking you to fill out a questionnaire or you get a link to a questionnaire um, and it's a school that you have any interest in at all, I think you definitely should be filling that out because I think it is an indicator that that school and that coach has at least some interest in you. And, and as I can say, more important now that they're not able to go other channels. Right. And, and because they cannot use a third party, they cannot have your college or your travel ball coach or high school coach uh, reach out on the behalf of a college coach to communicate for them. Uh, that questionnaire is going to have a lot more meaning. And I think it is going to be a key piece to the initial first steps in the recruiting process. The second thing that I believe that college coaches are still going to be able to send via email is camp information. And camp information is, again, a part of the, the yes, we're interested in you message that college coaches are trying to send. The uh, reality of it, though, is that because you get invited to a camp does not necessarily mean that that college coach is extremely interested in you might mean that they're somewhat interested in you might mean that they have just enough interest that they'd love to get you to camp and have a chance to get to know you more so there's a lot of different layers and levels to the amount of interest that that email uh, inviting you to a camp truly has and how much meaning it really has so what uh, what's our advice i um also too a little bit uh challenge trying to to give advice on a player that does get one of those invites to camp how can they differentiate between you know hey we just want you to come to camp or hey we're we're solid and interested in uh, your abilities right well i think that uh, depending upon the school and the type of uh, um, compliance office that they work with, um, there's definitely some gray area in exactly what can be said in that email inviting you to camp. Typically, the generic version is, um, Dear Sally, uh, we enjoyed seeing you play in Colorado. Uh, We have a camp coming up in November. We'd love for you to be there. So what, uh, again, so... If I feel like I am talented enough to attend that school and participate and be a uh, a member of the the squad, then that would, I guess, encourage me even more to go to that camp. Correct. And I think that uh, um, again, some of it does tie back to how a player feels about the school that is inviting them to that camp. If it's a school that they're very interested in, and um, you get the generic email that basically encourages you to come but doesn't have any kind of personalization doesn't have any kind of um where i saw you where i saw you information that that lets that player or her parents know that that coach actually has seen enough of you to know whether they might be interested or not um you know i think that that's going to vary great advice yeah the the generic email is something that most coaches will send most programs will send um, because at the end of the day they like having kids come to their camps there's certainly some financial incentive for them to have kids attend camp Um, there's also um, the uh, uh, benefit of having potential students come to a camp on campus whether they end up being softball players or not Um, you know a lot of programs actually are asked to and, and measured by the number of kids that do visit school because of camps or clinics or um, hitting seminars or whatever it is um, as uh, part of what the university expects them to do to drive the numbers to encourage more and more kids. Uh, general enrollment. Yeah, to, to, to be interested in the school, whether they end up being there as softball players or not. Sure. Um, you know, and, the, and there's other things about email you know, that you know, we want the parents and players to kind of pay attention to, though, also. I mean, it's a totally free type of communication. So for the college coach, um, there's a, you know, how much investment do they have to make in creating that email and sending it, depending upon what it is they're sending and how personalized what they send can be. Um, it might be something as simple as they've written a very generic, very simple form letter that uh, uh, some 
type of computer program plugs your email address and first name into and you know you basically get the um, the reverse version of the dear coach letter that many recruits send to coaches you know you're getting the dear player letter um, and if that's the case you know I think that you know again that indicates one level of interest versus an, an email that um, says something, yeah, very specific you know we, we really enjoyed watching you play in Colorado um, it was great to see you get the game-winning hit in that game against Team X. Um, you must have been so excited that your team won the tournament. Those kinds of things, clearly there's been a little bit of extra time and effort put into. Um, again, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the head coach is the person sending that email um, or the person who's going to make a decision about whether you're truly a candidate or not is sending that email. Um, but I think that it's... Uh, um, important to kind of try to read between the lines a little bit and and look at that uh, email and and try to decipher as much as you can is this a more personalized and more um, specific to me message or is this the same message that they're sending to a couple thousand kids this week because camp's coming up in a couple of months and I think um, both of those things happen sure and uh, hopefully we're pretty in tune with where we fit into in the the food chain for uh the recruiting process and if it's a school that that we would likely be able to participate at right then we can can you know work towards that a little bit more strongly yeah well i think one of the things that unfortunately uh that the new rule is going to really exaggerate is the importance of players having someone that can tell them where they fit in and and how their skills match up that's part of the reason that uh, at fast pitch prep we started doing our assessment and evaluation program Um, It's a chance for players to get feedback from us, uh, former college coaches that have a hand uh, in the game, that know what college coaches are looking for, to be able to tell a player just flat out, you know, at this point in time, your skills are such, and those skills mean this type of school. I just did an assessment before we started today um, with a very talented young player, and basically, you know, the bottom line to her assessment is, based on where she's at today, the schools that she has on her list that are college world series type top 10 top 20 um, big time division one programs are probably not realistic now i think because she's young and dedicated and hardworking, that she has a chance to make herself into a really good college player and somebody that's probably going to um, have some division one opportunities but she's not a Oklahoma or Florida or um, UCLA type player, and uh, um, so for her, it's important for them to know that so they can target schools that are just going to be more realistic. And uh, in that same vein, if she now gets an email inviting her to come to the UCLA camp, I hope she'll be able to take read, the knowledge that she lines, now has, read yeah. between the lines, and go, "Okay, am I a prospect or am I a customer?" Sure. And and all the big schools have both of those kinds of kids coming to their camps. They have kids that are prospects, the kids that they are desperately trying to recruit, and they have kids who pay to come to camp that have no chance at all of, of being a recruit. So um, so I think it's important for people to um, have some knowledge. And so if, if they are interested in learning more about where they fit in, you know, they can certainly contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or look at the website at fastpitchprep.com and see what we offer in the assessment program. Um, we can do them in person. We can do them via video. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's a pretty painless system uh, that allows kids to get some feedback that I think can be very useful. Um, it's a small investment that could save them thousands and thousands of dollars not flying to places that they have no chance of actually potentially being recruited by. And attending those camps and clinics. Right. right. Yeah. And again, we talk about it all the time. If somebody's going to a camp at Florida or Alabama or one of those schools because they want to learn from those coaches, because they are great coaches. I, I think totally that's do it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's an amazing opportunity, and you should take advantage of it. But if you're going to Florida or Alabama camp because um, you think you are a great player and and the kind of player that they're going to recruit, then I think there's some questions you should be asking yourself. I think the assessment, the assessment is a great tool, mm-hmm. um, you know. But also, I mean, are you the best player on your team? 
are you the best player that you saw at the tournament last weekend? You know, if you, if you can't say yes to those questions, then you're probably not a Florida or Alabama or Georgia or UCLA or Oklahoma recruit. Because I'm pretty sure that the only time Oklahoma recruits a player who's not clearly the best player on her team is when there's a whole bunch of great players all on one team together. So, um, but so the emails are important. It does typically indicate some interest. Um, how much interest? I think you have to be a little bit uh, savvy and a little bit uh, discerning and take a good hard look at it and try to decide: is this a generic? Hey player, yeah. Hey player, e- email or is this a dear Don? I really think you're something special. And if sure. it's the second one, then I think you should be excited. If it's the first one, I think you could be somewhat excited. But you know, one is sort of like we're on the we're, we're thinking about getting married, and the other one's like, yeah, we'll go on a date. Sure. So, so the second part of that question was, um, what if a coach comes to my games? And I think that is a gigantic step up the ladder of interest that a coach is expressing. Now, uh, again, how will they know that they're there to watch me? Is that going to be something they express to our coaches? Or again, with, with the new rule, there's a, an awful lot of tough. gray area. You know, I think that uh, you know, college coaches are still going to be able to tell a uh, travel ball coach um, that we're interested in Sally. I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how in depth that can be. I know it can't be. We're really interested in Sally. We want to offer her a scholarship, and we want you to tell her. Right. But um, I cannot imagine how recruiting can work if a college coach has to look at a travel ball coach and say nothing. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm here to watch your team. Got a lot of good players. Which player? Um, Your team. Uh, well, which one in particular? You, all of Your them. You know, no, 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 no. I mean, all of them. And so um, I think that there's going to be some communication that's going to help a, a player know that a school is interested in them. But, you know, so let's say if a player has been emailing a coach and specifically asking that coach to come, um, you might want to do a little straw poll amongst your teammates and just find See out, okay, else. so you know, who, how many of you have been emailing Patrick Murphy? How many of you have been emailing Patty Gasso? How many of you have been emailing Tim Walton? And if you're the only one and they show up at a game, I think that's a pretty clear indicator that they're there to see you. Um, and so, um, but I think when a college coach takes time out of their schedule to be in the stands or uh, behind the backstop or up in the press box to watch a game, there is no question that that is a clear indicator that they're interested. Um, if they were not interested, they are not going to be there. Now, again, that doesn't mean that five minutes after uh, you know midnight uh, tolls on September 1st of your junior year that that school is going to be calling to offer you a scholarship. But I do think that uh, it should give you encouragement that they're certainly really interested in you as a potential player. And uh, when you think about the way recruiting works, and and, uh, I'm sure that there will still be the same giant showcases with hundreds and hundreds of teams, um, you know, for a college program to carve time out of their lives and out of their schedule to see you play, even if it's for a couple of innings, means that they're legitimately interested. And as that stuff happens, too, if, if for some uh, opportunity I have a great game and there's a, a coach in the stands, is that something I should jump up and uh, try and make contact after that game or tournament and, oh, and reach out to them, yeah. make sure that they, they yeah. saw me make the diving catch and hit a double? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, any time a college coach attends one of your games, you should follow up with an email sure. no matter what happened. Um, but certainly if something happens that that you're proud highlights of, that, your that highlights your skills, um, you know, if you go over three and uh, and strike out three times and, they didn't and, notice. and don't don't come close to hitting the ball, um, I think you should still follow up with an email to that coach, thanking them for coming to see you um, and letting them know um, that you know you appreciate their taking the time because that might encourage them to come back one more time. Sure. Now, if you go over three with three strikeouts again, I think you've probably you know signed your death warrant or whatever you want to say. Um, but I think that uh, um, you know that many players. Um, fail to take advantage of the opportunity to communicate with those college coaches. And again, they are very limited in what they can do to respond to your follow-up. But uh, if you don't follow up, if you don't do anything, you clearly have no chance of them responding to you. It's like not sending the the player profile or... Yeah. It's like not sending out... It's like 
any of the other things that players could do and should do that they don't do. Um, now, um, for those players that are lucky enough to look up in the stands and see that college coach there, I know that there's some pressure. I know that there is some anxiety. I know there's some nervousness. Um, but I think that uh, what I would tell all players is that uh, if you look up in the stands and you see a college coach there to evaluate you, there's some things that you can absolutely control that you should be doing and absolutely making a point of giving everyone the po- most positive impression of you so being aggressive at the plate taking great swings you know running the bases hard you know one of the things that kids do that is absolutely a turnoff to college coaches is the routine ground ball that they never even make it to first base sure you know so um you know those kinds of things you know hustle on and off the field play dragging in and out of the dugout yeah you know acting like you're doing somebody a favor playing today those kinds of things are all the kiss of death and so um you know whether you get hits or not is something you cannot control you know you might get walked twice and get nothing that you can really drive and you get a little blue pit or something like that you know at face value that's probably not all that impressive but if you are the first person out of the dugout and the first person back in, if you are diving for every single ball that's you know, communicating and, with your teammates, yeah, that's in your time zone. Communication is a is a big one. If you're up at the plate taking a good aggressive swing at every pitch that you should swing at, that sends a really positive message. Um, and again, you know, so there's many many things that uh, players can do, and especially if you you know, I think you should be doing it all the time. But you absolutely have to be doing it when you look up in the stands and you see that college coach there. Most certainly. So, um, so if a coach comes to your game, players, they are definitely interested. That that you can count on for sure. That means that they are interested in you. So, um, so what if a college coach calls you? So now we're talking about after September first of your junior year, um, a college coach has your phone number and calls you. Um, uh, Obviously, that's a very clear indicator that they are interested in you. Um, after September 1st of your junior year, if they ask your travel ball coach to make sure that you call them or they tell your travel ball coach that they want you, you know, here, here's coach so-and-so's number. Um, you know, he always takes calls Sunday after 6. Give him a call. Um, both of those situations are very definitely a sign of interest. And if you get a phone call from a college coach, it means they are legitimately interested now does that mean that that phone call is going to include a a a scholarship offer right again it it totally depends Um, you know one of the things that i think is going to happen with the new rule is that for many players and their parents they're going to get their first phone call on september 1st and on september 1st they're going to get an offer and on september 1st they're going to get a deadline and I think that they're going to need to be prepared to weigh those options and those offers very, very quickly. Because just like college coaches were recruiting very young players before the new rule to get ahead and to make sure that they didn't get left without the players that they wanted, um, that's going to still be true. And I would imagine that especially really talented players are going to be getting the, um, you know, dear Sally, we think you're a great player. We want you to be part of our program. We're going to offer you a scholarship. It's September 1st. I need to know by September 3rd. That's going to be tough because I was I was sure hoping that the new rule is going to allow some of these kids to enjoy that recruiting experience and being uh, wooed on campus a little bit. But I think you're right that uh, often there's going to be pressure to make that decision fairly quickly. Very quickly is what I think will happen. I mean, you know, what we hope for and what will happen. What's going to yeah. Get, yeah. You know, I, I tell kids all the time, hope is a beautiful thing, but hope's not a strategy. Sure. You know, and hope is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. And, um, you know, I... I, I I would like to hope that if I lost 40 pounds, I could, um, you know, win the Boston Marathon, but that's probably not going to happen. You know, just, uh, you know, there's things that you can hope for that just don't necessarily work out the way you want them to. So, um, but if you get that phone call, be prepared to have a legitimate adult conversation with that college coach. If they call you, they want to talk to you. They want to hear what you think. They want your opinion about things. They want you to be engaged and involved. Um, And is it uh, an intimidating thing? Of course it is. Now, some college coaches are really good at carrying the conversation and kind of leading you into questions and, and things that you could talk about. 
But players, you need to be prepared, especially if you are um, a top-level player. If you're the best player on your team, if you're one of the best players that you see every weekend at the tournaments that you're playing in, your phone's going to ring, and when it does, you need to be prepared for it. So I know we've uh, we've talked to student-athletes about this with their parents about creating a list because, as you said, when that phone rings and they're talking to the college coach, uh, with all that excitement, sometimes you kind of freeze or uh, tighten up. And if you've got an actual list in front of you of the questions that you might have about that school, um, about the coach, about the whole recruiting process with them, uh, we're a lot more likely to gather the information we need to make good choices as we go. Right. And also to make a better impression. Sure. So I would tell every player to have uh, you know, a 3 by 5 index card with the generic list of things that they would want to know about any school that contacts them and kind of have that in, in their pocket. And then also in their pocket, if they've got five schools that they know are their top five and places that they are very, very interested in, I would invest the time to have a separate card or a separate list that uh, uh, has some very specific things. So if um, Oklahoma is one of your schools and that's a school that you would love to go to, that on the three by five card you have in your pocket that says Oklahoma on it, you're talking about things like the back-to-back national championships, the you know great tradition, um, you know uh, some of the great players that have come through the program, some of the record holders, some of the Olympic all those kinds of things. Make, make sure you know the coach's names. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the coach's name, the head coach, the assistant coach. Sure. Um, you know, those kinds of things. If uh, um, if you're the player that's on that phone call and you can talk to Patty Gasso and have an intelligent conversation and you know enough to know that her son is also her hitting coach and you can talk about how you know much it must mean to her to have her family involved in her program or that, uh, you know, she's had Missy Lombardi there as her assistant coach now for a very long time time and they've you know built an amazing program you start mentioning those kinds of things as a player i don't care who the coach is that coach is going to notice they're going to be going to be impressed and it's your chance to shine and be you know and and again if you're lucky enough to be one of those players that a, a coach like patty gasso is calling wouldn't you wish that you had spent a little bit of time preparing for that so that if that opportunity does come along you're ready to take advantage of it and that's good advice for any school really oh absolutely um and uh, yeah if it's no matter what school it is you know if it's the local division two school is the school that's your best fit and the school that you are you know most likely to want to attend um the same thing so that if that coach contacts you you're ready to talk and and ready to actually have a conversation be familiar yeah Yeah. because you know i tell people all the time i've had you know some of those phone calls you know, in, in all the years that I was recruiting, where a player would call me and basically to be a, hi, Coach Tory, this is Sally. And then crickets. I mean, nothing. Dead air. I, I mean, I, I'd be afraid that the, fo- you know, the phone disconnected for some reason. And, um, you know, and then I'd ask a question and, you know, so, so tell me about your um, travel team. We're okay. And then crickets. You know, well, tell me about your high school. Oh, we finished third in our league last year. Okay. Well, how about your family? Well, I have a mom and I have a dad. Crickets. Quiet. Yeah, you know, and it's like, okay, I mean, I understand it's an intimidating thing, but sweetheart, you called me. You know, you should you should have had have, some idea. Have, have your list, things you want to talk about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You, should, you should have prepared for it a little bit because right now, you know, I, I understand that it's an intimidating and scary thing, but it still doesn't make this any less painful and any, any less annoying. And, um, you know, that it's, it's just important. So players, make sure you're prepared. You know, if that phone rings, make sure you're prepared. If you are one of those players that your travel ball coach or high school coach calls you up and says... Hey, Coach So-and-So called me. They're really interested in you. They want you to call them tonight at 7 o'clock. Here's their phone number. Before you pick up the phone and dial that number, you need to have that list. You need to have your questions. You need to have looked at the website. You need to have done some things to prepare yourself. If you're calling them, there's no reason in the world that you can't be sitting in front of your computer with four or five windows open with their softball webpage, their university webpage, um, their conference webpage, their personal Facebook page, all that information. And just, you know, with a couple of clicks and, and moving the mouse around a little bit, you could have a litany of things 
that you could talk about that would make you look like the smartest softball player that's ever called a coach. Sure. And so, um, you know, obviously if they call you, you're a little bit at a disadvantage because it might have caught you off guard. But if you're making the phone call, you should be armed and dangerous with knowledge and questions and information. Sure. You will shine for sure. So, and then the last part of this question that I think is worth um, discussing is, you know, a lot of times players are asking this question, how do I know if a college coach is really interested in me? And the one thing that I have asked dozens and dozens of players now over the years said, if you're curious about whether a coach is interested in you, have you asked them specific questions? And they look at me like I've got an extra eyeball in my forehead, you know, or like, you know, horns just grew out of my, my scalp or like, you know, some sort of crazy, you know, Frankenstein transformation just took place. Like, well, I, I could never ask that question. And it's shocking to me. Um, and they're, again, they're I, just normal people, too. Right? Yeah. I mean, coaches, yeah. coaches are people, too. Um, but I think that there's there's a couple of different levels to this question. Um, first, I think some kids are just intimidated and don't want to ask. You know, they Certainly. don't ask any questions. So I think yeah. they're a little bit scared by the whole thing. But the more important one to hear our discussion today is the one who's afraid to ask because they don't want to hear the answer. And I think that's an awful lot of kids. You know, if uh, if I'm still dreaming the dream of some big school and I have the good fortune of talking to them, if I never ask them specifically, are you you interested interested in in me? me? Am I a scholarship caliber player for your program? Am I the kind of player who you are going to actively recruit? What kind of role do you think I would have in your program? Those kinds of questions, a lot of times kids do not ask them because they don't want to know the truth. Just think how further along we are, though, if we really know the truth. And if we do ask the question, then we can focus our energies and efforts, right. you know, in another direction that's yeah. going to be productive. And yeah. so so if, if you're interested in a school, gotta ask. you've got to ask those questions. And I understand it could be painful. If, yeah. if you're in love with a school, whatever school it is, and you take the initiative and you sit down and ask that coach point blank, Coach, I just have to ask you this question. You know I'm really interested in your school. How interested are you in me? And if you get some sort of generic answer, something along the lines of, well, we think you're a pretty good player, or we think you're a really good player, or we think you know, you know, you've got a lot of potential. We're going to continue nice. to follow you. We're going to yeah. continue to follow you, but then I think you need to keep picking at that scab a little bit more. So, okay, I'm really happy that you're interested in me if um, – you were going to rate me on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being a player that you would say is the very top of your recruiting list or, you know, somewhere down the list. Am I a 10 or am I a five or am I a one? And a lot of coaches are going to give you the truth. They're going to tell you. Yeah. They're not going to string you along. And Right. Yeah. My honest impression is I think the vast majority of college coaches are honest people. Sure. Now, I think there's some scumbags and people that would say anything, you know, keep the, you hanging. just to keep you hanging, um, you know, and, and to, you know, to keep you interested just in case. But I think college coaches want to help you find a place that you're going to be successful at, too. And now sometimes they just don't know for sure. But I think most of them are going to be honest enough to let you know you know don i appreciate you asking me that question i think you're a really strong player you're somebody that we're interested in but right now we have another player that we're also interested in if she says yes she's probably going to be the player that we choose if she says no then i think you are a candidate to fill that spot so you're telling me to stay in touch and right. keep working hard, right? So, so I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think that you're not my first choice, but you are somebody that I could choose. You know, it's, you know, how many of us married the first person we went on a date with? Very good. You know, I mean, so, um, you know, how many of us uh, ended up getting jobs that we really loved, but we weren't the first choice? You know, I mean, you know, you know, how many of us ended up, you know, picking a school that was not our dream school, but we ended up going there and having a great, you know, career, great, uh, you know, experience, learned everything we needed to learn, got our degree, and had a great life. So, you know, for players, I think they need to prepare themselves for the reality that they might get a, an answer to that question that they don't really want to hear, but. 
I think knowledge is power. And if you know where you stand, if you're the player that gets the, you're not our number one choice, but we are still interested, then you know how you want to proceed. If you get the, you know, we're really glad that we got to know you, but you're just not a kind of, the kind of player that we would recruit. I know that's heartbreaking, but at least you know, so you don't waste any more time. What would be worse? To find out on September 1st of your junior year that a school isn't interested in you, so you spend one day crying, or spend another 15 months doing everything you can chasing after that school, and then find out on September 1st when you're supposed to be a freshman in college that, well, yeah, we really still don't want you. You, you never, or you never asked. Yeah, you, yeah. you never asked. We never had that opportunity. So, yeah. um, so again, I think you have to listen between the lines because some college coaches, even though they're honest, they don't want to break anybody's heart. They don't want to be the the dream crusher. And so I think uh, if you get a very ambiguous, very, uh, um, uh, very difficult to uh, to decipher kind of response, I think that's somebody trying to find a nice way to say something that's hard to say. Sure. No, that, that's tough on their end, too. Yeah, because yeah, uh, you know, having been on that side of that phone call, um, I, I can tell you when you know, when I've had to talk to a player and tell them, you know, that you know, and, and I've thought I was always as upbeat and positive as possible. You know, it'd be something along the lines of, you know, Don, I really appreciate your interest in our program. You know, I think you're a really, really talented player. You know, at this point in time. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to offer you that scholarship because you're our second choice at shortstop. I still think you're a great player. I want to do everything I can to help you. If I can help you with another school, if there's other coaches that you're interested in, I'd be happy to be a reference. I'd be happy to speak on your behalf because at the end of the day, you know, I think you're a great player and I want you to be happy. I'm sorry that it's not going to be here, but I think you're a great kid and I want to do everything I can to help you. Sure. Well, Coach, Coach Tory, and, and your school is uh, my top pick, and I'd sure like to stay in the loop and continue to stay in contact. So, if anything changes along the way, uh, that we could, you know, possibly still come together and and uh, work together in your program. Right. And so, you know, I think that uh, hopefully that's how kids hear that message and respond to it. I also think some kids hear that very positive. You know, I still think you're a great player. Um, uh, discussion and and answer to their questions and you know they kind of turn that into so you think I suck right but um, you know either way you know hopefully it's the first one your your example of a kid who wants to keep the lines open and and because you never know you know, we've talked about this in other in other uh, podcasts about you know the circus act with all the plates spinning you know sooner or later one of those plates might come crashing down and you want to be the next plate that that coach picks up. Um, but I think uh, either way, at least that player then knows where they stand, where they're at with a certain school, and then that gives them some guidance as to what they can do and should do next. Yep, and uh, at that point too, that you could ask, you know, where you think I might fit in, uh, what level should I be striving for, and um, how do you feel my skills would would fit, you know, in that conference? Should I be looking? you know, in the same conference or should I be dropping down a notch? Right. Per se. Yeah. And, and again, I would encourage people who are curious about where they fit in to, you know, to check out our website and, and see if the assessment and evaluation program is something that they're interested in learning more about. Um, but I, you know, especially for kids that are dreaming the big dream, because most of the kids that we do assessments with, when we ask them for their top five, the vast majority of them have at least two or three of those college world series SEC, top 10 our um, area. Yeah. type schools and um unfortunately this you know the reality of it is you know that that's a great dream and it's nice to dream a big dream but it's just not a realistic dream for most people yeah. and uh you know we understand that uh, the the schools at the top of the pyramid are recruiting that top tenth of you know one percent kind of players. Um, if you're that kid and you can honestly tell yourself and tell people that you are the best player on your team, you're the best player you saw last weekend. You're the best player you've seen this summer. Then I think you thinking about those schools is probably realistic. If you're the f- backup shortstop on your team and your team goes two and two every weekend. Even if it's a great team, chances yeah. are that you're not going to end up at a top ten Division one program. And so, I was going to say it's tough for the high school coach, for your travel ball coach, for mom and dad to really let you down and and let you down easy and tell you, hey, you're not you're not good enough to play at those schools yet. But uh, through the assessment, you can get a very comfortable, realistic look at where we're at and what we need to do to get better. 
Up next, we've got a fun and interesting discussion about hitting your serious relationship with your swing. Hitting is like a relationship. And um, so the topic today is I'm in a serious relationship. I think it's fun. You've, you've broken it into uh, different segments there, and it's uh, so true. And, and a couple have responded, I think, to uh, some, of, some of your posts uh, to me and, and how true they feel it is. But uh, sometimes things are perfect and everything's all in line and we're all smiles, and sometimes it's not quite that way. So basically what I've done is I've come up with uh, five stages of the relationship for hitters. And uh, we'll, we'll go through each one and then we'll talk about it uh, a little bit more too. But uh, so stage number one is the top of the happiness st- uh, ladder. It's I love my swing. When I love my swing, everything's cl- clicking. I feel great. The ball looks like a beach ball coming up to the plate. Um, almost feel like I can't miss no matter what she throws, no matter uh, what kind of pitcher I'm facing, no matter what the conditions are. I'm just locked in and I'm just going to be crushing the and you, ball. You just can't wait for your next at bat. Whatever happened in the last one, you're just anxious for, for my next try. Yeah, when, when, when you're in love with your swing, I think you just want your other teammates to get out of the way, get, you know, get going, get it moving so you can get back up there as fast as you can. And when you're in love with your swing, you look forward to getting as many at-bats in the day and as many at-bats in the weekend as you possibly can because every time you walk up to the plate, you walk up there with a smile on your face and a song in your heart and everything is seashells and, and lollipops. Confident as you can be, yeah. yeah. So, so stage number one is I love my swing. Well, the next step down the happiness ladder is I like my swing. I like my swing. It's still pretty good. I mean, I feel good, but I'm not quite in that groove. I'm not in love with my swing, but I'm doing okay. Um, you know, the um, consistency of my contact is good. I'm getting I'm getting hits, um, but I'm probably not, you know, just not killing the ball the way I was when I was in love with my swing. You're not quite dreading your next opportunity or next at bat, so you're you're still still working through things, but uh, optimistic. Yeah, and 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 looking forward still to the next at bat because even though it wasn't perfect, it wasn't something that you're in love with. You still feel good about it. I mean, you know, there, there's still you know a lot of optimism and a lot of hope and a lot of reasons to to walk up to the plate expecting something good to happen. So um, so if I'm not in love with my swing, swing and I don't like my swing, the next stage is I can live with my swing. And um, when I can live with my swing, I think I'm getting some hits, but I just don't feel great. You know, each at bat is an adventure. I'm not sure uh, if I'll have a a great swing, but I'm going to keep fighting. You know, I can live with it and I'm going to get through it. It's kind of a coin toss. Yeah, it's a 50-50 kind of proposition. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. And you know, I, I might get lucky and you know get a dinker or a gork one through the infield, um, but we'll, I'm not hitting the ball hard. But we'll be okay with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can live with it, but I'm not happy with it. You know, sure. it's it's it's, it's um, not the end of the world, but it's definitely not sunshine and, and roses. So, um, so if I'm having a day where I can't live with my swing, the next one is I have some doubts about my swing. When I get to this point. Um, I'm scuffling and I can't seem to find any consistency. Each at bat's a struggle and I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, I feel off balance. I feel weak and dang, that ball seems to be getting to the plate pretty fast. Like it's, it's on top of me and I'm not ready to hit it. We've got some monsters in our head and we've got some negative thought uh, bouncing around in there and uh, a lot of doubt, huh? Yeah. And then the last one is I need to, do, to get a divorce from my swing. Okay. Um, when I feel like that, I'm just lost at the plate. I have no idea what's going on. The bat feels like it weighs 200 pounds in my hands, like I've never even held it before. Don't care uh, if I get another at bat today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading the idea of going to the plate because I have no idea what I'm doing and no idea what to do to get things fixed. And I sort of start to have this, like, I hate this game mentality. How can I get out of here? Yeah, let's, let's crank up the bus and get out of Dodge because... 
nothing good's going to happen if I keep walking up to home plate. And so um, the reason I like this idea of talking about hitting as a, or as a relationship, because you know all of us have relationships, you know, whether you're married or or, or whatever your your situation is in life, um, we all have relationships. And if you're a young player, you probably aren't married yet. Um, you might not even have uh, somebody that you're seriously dating, um, but you still love your parents. Sure. Well, so if you're an eight-year-old, there's some days you love mom and dad because every, I mean, well, you always love them, but I mean, you really love them. They, they can do no wrong. Then there's some days that you like mom and dad. They're, you know, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking care of you. They're, you know, they're, they're doing the right things. There's some days you can live with your parents. You're not sure what they're doing all the time, but you know, their heart's in the right place. And so you kind of cut them some slack. Then there's some days that you don't like your parents at all. They've been aggravating you. Yeah, and then there's some days that you know you you think your parents are evil. You know they're they're just there to ruin your life. And so you know we all have relationships, and I think we can all relate to how at different times and different days and different points in your life those relationships go through these same kinds of stages. Um, and so if you think about it from a, a, a romantic perspective, being in love is a great thing. You know, and and you know, if you're lucky enough to find the right person, you stay in love for your whole life. But it still doesn't mean there's not days you have some doubt. Sure. So, um, so we, I liked this idea because I think it gives people some perspective. And so, what happens when I have something going on with my swing other than being in love with it? If I like my swing, that's certainly good, but it's not perfect. If I can live with my swing, I'm not that happy. I'm not unhappy. But I'm not as happy as I could be. If I have doubts about my swing, I'm definitely unhappy. I'm probably not quite ready to get out on the ledge and thinking about jumping, but I'm not a happy person. And if I get to the point where I think I need to divorce my swing or break up with my swing, I'm on the edge. I mean, I'm out there, you know, like that uh, scene from Yes Man with Jim Carrey when uh, uh, the guy's out on the ledge and he, you know, grabs the guitar and starts singing him that song and, you know, has to talk him back in. Uh, that guy that day wants to break up with his swing. He's a pretty unhappy dude. So um, so I think it's an interesting way for players to think about it because we're all going to go through those stages. And if you love your swing, you want it to stay that way forever. But let's be honest, you might love your swing for a day. You might love your swing for a weekend. A but it's, week. yeah. Yeah. But it's just too hard to stay there. that good that often. And so the reason I started using this analogy is I think that if you think about your swing like a relationship, and then you can start to think about your coaches sort of like a marriage counselor. So if I love my swing, your coach is really just kind of there. And when I'm in love with my swing, kids that are in love with their swing right now and swinging great when they come in for a lesson, it's the easiest half yeah. hour of the week. They are cruising. They feel good. They don't have a lot of questions. They're not, you know, worried about anything. They're not struggling with anything. It's they are just rocking and rolling. They yeah. just want they, they just want to get their cuts and make sure that they stay in love. Um, but as we work our way down the spectrum, you know, it makes for a different perspective. If I like my swing, then I think my coach is important because I want to get back in love with my swing. And so I might have some very specific questions. You know, you know, and some very specific things that I want to work on. So, um, but the reason we, you know, we want people to kind of put this in perspective, the difference between being in love with your swing and being in like with your swing, I don't think is a huge drop. Um, I think it is one simple little thing or one simple little fine fix. tuning, some fine tuning, some polishing, you know, some, uh, um, you know, small incremental uh, adjustments that get us back up to the top and, and have us back in love with our swing. If I'm working with a kid that's in that middle group that I can live with my swing, you can see there's some discomfort. You can see that they um, definitely need some help. Um, you know, they're asking a lot more questions. You know, when they talk about how they're doing, they're saying you know just as many negative things as they are positive things. We're probably noticing things that need help. Yeah, yeah. And and they come in with a, a sort of a I guess a shopping list of of things that didn't feel quite right. But it's not negative yet. You know, they're still um, in a pretty good frame of mind. And so then for me as an instructor, what I try to get them to understand is that you might not go from I can live with my swing to I'm back in love with my swing with one quick fix, but my guess is that it's still not the end of the world. It's one or two little things. It's still polishing. It's still adjusting. It's still 
nudging. It's you know, it's, minor. it's it's relatively minor because you know if we think about you know one or two little things gets me out of love with my swing. It's only one or two things that get me back in love with my swing. Sure. And so, you know, to me, I think it's important because a lot of kids ride this hitting roller coaster. I'm good. I stink. I'm great. I suck. I'm awesome. I'm terrible. I'm amazing. I stink. It's like total, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. I have a couple of kids that I work with will come back talking about having hit the ball hard every single at bat but still thinking they stink because they didn't get enough hits. Anything to show for it, right? You know, and so um, the, re- the relationship idea, I think, is, is, is a neat way to help them understand that they don't stink. There's a lot of steps between I'm great and I'm terrible. And there's a lot of stages in there. There's, you know, a lot of different, uh, you know, areas of uh, uh, measurement that fall along that spectrum between you know the very top of your performance and the and the bottom and so i think it's been helpful for me as a coach to be able to use that analogy because then you can get kids to understand okay it's not the end of the world let's work on a couple little things let's see how you feel and it's not uncommon for somebody who came in and i who i would categorize categorize as i like my swing to walk out back in love it's not uncommon for somebody to come in with the i can live with my swing to have improved enough to where they're at least liking their swing again and maybe close to being back in love with it yeah we can hope after a good workout that they're uh, they have a positive outlook for sure You're right and, and and they've kind of turned the corner heading yeah. back on on the right path working yeah. working towards the good yeah so now when we get to the kids who have some doubts about their swing you know these kids are coming in with a fairly negative outlook they're not feeling great about how they're performing but again i think it helps them kind of keep things into perspective because if they understand that you know there's five stages that it's not the end of the world they're not in a great place they're not even in a good place but it's not the end of the world there's still you know a couple of very simple things and very fundamental things that they could probably work on that are going to get them moving in the right direction pretty quickly no, I know that that you're getting to that point where uh, where we do need to pull as many positives out of it as we can to to get right. back on track. And and now the the kids that come in to see us that are having doubts about their swing that are starting to get you know to the point where they're getting pretty negative. Now they really need help, and that's where I think we come in as coaches. You know, the the kid that's at the top of this uh, spectrum that's in love with their swing. I mean, I'm happy that they're there. I really enjoy that half hour because it's an easy half hour. We, you know, we, you know, we shoot the breeze a little bit. We take some swings. We talk about how great they did. We talk about how great they feel, and it's pretty easy. You know, we start to get down to the kids who are having serious doubts about their swings. Now we got to dig in, break it down to the beginning. Yeah, and uh, and maybe not go all the way back to square one, but we definitely need to, you know, probably touch on some pretty fundamental things. Uh, but again, the good news is for that kid who is having doubts about their swing, one or two steps in the right direction. And before you know it, they say, okay, I can live with this. It's not so bad. Yeah. yeah. Or, all right, I, I like the way I'm swinging right now. It's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's way better. Well, and, you've pointed out that there are some good things. Right. Yeah. And, and so instead of thinking, oh, my God, my life is over, I've got to quit this game, um, they start to see it as something that they can make the progress that they need to make. And I think that's kind of the moral to the story is we want them to understand that even if they're in the worst place ever, there's a light. There's a light at the end of the tunnel that's not the train. Okay, and so when we get a kid who comes in who is just lost, they are they are the I need to break up with my swing, I need to get a divorce from my swing kids. Um, again, now this is another time when they really need help, and now they probably need help even not just from you or I as their hitting coach. They probably need help from mom and dad. They probably need help from their teammates. They probably need help from their you know team coach. They probably need help from everybody in their in their life that can give them some reason for hope. But they need help, and. Um, these are always the most challenging situations because um, you, know, you look into that kid's eyes and they walk in the door for a lesson and, and you can read it from the moment they walk in. The only reason I'm here is because they dragged me here because I sucked all weekend long and they're going to make me work on it and I don't even want to be here because it's hopeless. It's the last thing they want to tell you too. Yeah, but but the body language and the expression and the things they say tell you that you know, right now they'd rather be getting stabbed in the eye with a toothpick 
than have a bat in their hands. Sure. And so, um, so these kids really need help. And part of what we, the reason that I have this discussion with the kids that I work with, is I want to make sure that mom and dad hear this talk too. Um, you know, because obviously mom and dad have had some relationships and had some situations where they've had to go through this stuff in the real world, and to get them to understand that when their player is really struggling, rock bottom, you know, they've hit that point where, um, you know, they they feel hopeless and lost. That we've all got to grab them by the bootstraps and, and give them some reasons to to pull themselves back up. Well, and often, too, in that case, mom and dad are the ones that are there all the time. So they have a huge impact, whether it's, you know, pulling them up and getting them going or whether it's allowing them to stay in that rut. we got to use mom and dad as a, a big piece of that. Right. And the other reason that I try to you know, make sure that parents are aware of my philosophy about this stuff is when your kid is down the thing they do not need is you piling on yeah you know the uh, you know the the player who's down in the dumps and already starting to think about me you know, i need to break up with my swing i need a divorce from my swing does not need mom and dad then piling on with the the heartache and the turmoil with all we've done all we've spent all this time all this money that's the best you can do is not helping us help their child get back on the right track and so you know i think sometimes if mom and dad hear this discussion and they understand that you know we're talking about uh, do you love your swing right now or are, are you ready to break up with your swing you know it kind of gives them some perspective if, if, if i'm dealing with a kid that's really down in the dumps you know i want mom and dad to hear okay let's all work together let's all pull together let's start looking for some positives let's give this player some hope Instead sure. of um, let's make them hope that the car crashes on the ride home because at least then they don't have to play softball anymore. Right. So, um, but so if a hitter understands that hitting, it's going to have its ups and downs. It's going to be like a relationship. There's going to be days that you're in love. There's going to be days that you're in like. There's going to be days you want to break up. But I think any good marriage goes through these same stages. And now some people do end up divorced. And those are the kids that quit playing softball. Right, And it happens. There are some kids that get down to that point of they need to break up with their swing. And then, unfortunately, I think they also have the curse of the mom and dad or whoever it is that piles on. Maybe it's their coach that just piles on and turns their doubt and their, their turmoil into a reason to give up the game. Pushes us a little bit past that point, for sure. Yeah. And, and, but then there's an awful lot of success stories, you know, where kids, they get some counseling. You know, maybe they go to their, you know, their pastor. Maybe they go uh, to their coach. Maybe they go to their friends. Maybe they go to whoever it is. Maybe it is their hitting coach. And that person pulls them up and gives them hope and shows them that even though they're at the you know the end of the rope right now and it looks like it's hopeless there really is light at the end of the tunnel and if you can get one thing right today that helps you feel better all of a sudden instead of needing a divorce i can live with my swing yeah no and you gotta have that positive sphere like you said and uh you know oh for five turns into five for ten if you're got a good outlook but turns into 0 for 10 if you got a bad one right and and so you know the the thing that uh, i'm hoping this this will help is give people some perspective so when you're riding home from that next tournament if you're not at the top of this discussion if you're not in love with your swing don't beat yourself up too much don't get too down about it don't be too disappointed don't you know don't be um fretting over it too much because if you're honest with yourself i think you're going to see that it's not as bad as it appears it's not as bad as you might want to make it out to be and with a little bit of work a little bit of counseling a little bit of coaching a little bit of work on your own before you know it you're back at the seashells and balloons and you're back in love with your swing Um, but this game is meant to challenge your faith and uh, and if um, you're the person who um, gets to the bottom and stays there for very long, your faith is going to get challenged. And unfortunately, I think some of those players end up deciding that this game is just more work than it's worth. And we don't want that to happen. You know, the the, the game is too great. There's too much fun to be had. And so, um, you know, if you're not in love with your swing, what do you do? You work on it. And sooner or later, you're going to be back in love with it. And how long you get to be in love? Hopefully forever. But there's going to be some days that you're just not going to quite be in love with your swing. That's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. And tomorrow's a new day for you to 
look at the opportunities that present themselves for you to be back in love with your swing. So, um, so Don, I, I really enjoyed that uh, topic and, and talking about hitting that way. And I know you mentioned that uh, um, you've talked to a couple of uh, former students and, and people that you know that have enjoyed it too. No, they uh, they said it's so true and that they felt every every phase of that and that uh, you know that just reminded them that. Uh, you know, things can be good if you keep working at it. Yeah. So um, so for those of you that are out there as, as players, parents, or coaches, um, next time you see a, a player um, up at the plate or you watch them hitting, you watch them take a couple of cuts, um, you're going to figure out very quickly where they are on the spectrum. If they're in love with their swing, get out of their way. They're doing great. If they want to break up with their swing and they're uh, looking for a divorce and a, and a good lawyer to help them get half of everything, um, make sure that you see that as an opportunity for you to help pick them up, pull them out of that uh, negative place and give them some hope and some reason to think that tomorrow is going to be a good day, not just another day. Um, Players, there's always light at the end of the tunnel and we want you to turn it into hope and turn it into something positive. And so next time you're struggling a little bit, just think about it this way. With a little bit of help, it's going to get better. And the difference between swinging great and being in love with your swing and some of the other stages is almost always one or two pretty simple things that if you figure it out and you work on it a little bit before you know what things are going to be be better. Up next from Bree, we've got a hey coach. Welcome to this edition of Hey Coach, sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Coach Don, what's our question of the day? Okay, we've got a question today from Bree, and uh, we're going to play it. Hi, this is Bree from the Georgia Cyclones. My Hey Coach question is, when I get a good hit and I'm riding the bases and a filter blocks my path, what should I do? Well, that's a pretty good question. And uh, how old is Bree about? Bree would be, I believe she's either 9 or 10. Okay, perfect. Well, that kind of thing I think happens uh, very often at younger ages because I think sometimes the defenders are just as caught up in watching the ball and watching what's going on and uh, spectating as, uh, as the people sitting in the stands. So um, I guess that uh, um, there's two different ways that uh, Bree could approach this situation. But number one is uh, thinking about how it's going to benefit her and her team. And so the first piece of advice I would give her is, is if there's a defensive player in the baseline without the ball in their possession, that I would make sure that there was contact with them yeah no most certainly i know uh as you said with the younger players i think it's by accident often that they uh either impede that uh good round of first base or uh, a good line from second to third uh i don't think that they're necessarily doing it on purpose but if you can uh in any way make some contact happen uh obviously not to to be too rough or anything like that but just be very uh, open about showing that there was uh, an impediment of your your path to to the next base, and um, that will definitely benefit the team. Yeah, because I think one of the things that uh, you often see, especially with younger base runners, is when uh, that defensive player is in the base path or is in their way, that they'll dodge and duck and dive and do everything they can to avoid that contact, not realizing that it is absolutely in their benefit um, for that contact to happen. I think you're right. I would I would caution Bree not to uh, go WWE on anybody <laughs> and uh, uh, you know cut anybody in half or run anybody over. Um, but I think she also has to make sure that the contact is obvious enough that the umpire is going to notice it and see it. Um, if she can do that and still make it to the next base, I think that's a win-win situation. Uh, but uh, um, I would definitely encourage her to... Uh, uh, Create contact and and uh, let everybody on the on the field see that the base runner did impede her path. And honestly, if the base runner is not aware, maybe the fact that that rule gets imposed and she gets penalized for creating that contact might help her become a better player and help be, her be more aware that uh, if she doesn't have the ball in her possession, she cannot be in the base path. Well, that's kind of a good point too, Tori. That uh, you know that all the younger players do need to know that it's their it's their path. And that uh, it's the defender's responsibility as long as they're not fielding a ball. And obviously, in Bree's case, she's hit the ball to the outfield, and uh, she's she's going for a double or a triple. But 
Um, as long as a defender is not fielding the ball, that it is the, the runner's base path. And uh, if they veer at all from, from a, good, a good round or from a, a most efficient path to the next base, that uh, they stand the chance of being out by a step rather than being safe by a step. Right. And so, Bree, that's an amazing question. We really do appreciate you uh, taking the time to ask. Uh, for being uh, the person whose question was used, uh, you will be receiving a Fast Pitch Prep t-shirt, and we do appreciate you taking the time. So any of you other players, parents, or coaches, if you have a question that you would like Coach Don or I to answer for you, um, please uh, let us know. You can contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Or if you see either one of us at the ballpark or any one of our staff members at the ballpark, Don't be afraid to let them know that you want to uh, get that question asked, and we will definitely put it on a future podcast. So, Bree, thank you much for helping us with Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or just want to get in on the conversation, please contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com. For Coach Don McKinley, our producer, Bo Ray, I'm Coach Tori Atchison. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Everything Fast Pitch.